This is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen, joined as always with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello, hello. And with our special guest for this week, Simon Fisher-Becker. Hello, everybody, and thank you for asking me to take part. So, Simon, could you say a little bit about yourself for our listeners? Uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a jobbing actor who had the good fortune to appear in Doctor Who, and I appeared in four episodes as a character called Dorian Moldovar, who was a black, uh, sort of intergalactic black marketeer, and because of that, I'm invited to do podcasts like this, and <laughs> travel the world until recently, uh, to, to attend, uh, all sorts of sci-fi functions, and also to give talks and lectures, uh, and more will be revealed as we go mm. on. And obviously you've had a bit of a part in Harry Potter as well. Well, yes. Uh, for, <laughs> uh, yes, I had a part. I was the fat friar of Hufflepuff House in the Harry Potter uh, movies, and uh, most of what I did, along with all the other ghosts, was cut out. Cool. So, <laughs> yeah. so... But uh, you can, um, those who want to know more about that can always find out, should they choose to get an e-book or go online to Amazon and get my my book called My Dalek Has a Puncture. So it's a very good book. How's, how's that for the plug right mm, at the beginning? It was good. And I remember really enjoying that book. I read it uh, a couple of years ago when I saw you, and I need to get hold of the sequel, actually. Um, yes, available now. I'll try and order that this week. Yeah. I mean, so when you were just as like a genuine question, I'm just interested in. Uh, so when you were doing like Harry Potter and stuff, like was most of that in like a green screen studio, or did you get to meet the other cast? Uh, we met. Well, I personally met some of the other cast as we were dragged to and from uh, a main studio, which was uh, blue and green screen then in the year 2000. But, um, and, uh, all the other ghosts that we got to work with when we did scenes together, uh, apart from John Cleese, who was never available at the time. Because <laughs> a, f- a friend of mine was just sort of in, t- told me to ask you about whether you'd had much of a chance to meet Alan Rickman. And I him. did have, but in a very surreal, a very surreal moment. I, I, we all gathered in a room. And we're having makeup and costumes taken from us. And I was in front of a mirror. And Zoe Wanamaker came by and planted a load of Harry Potter books and said, they're for you. And uh, I said, well, what are these for? for you to sign? And I said, what, me? And she said, well, you are the fat friar. And then I, I sort of looked up and looked in the mirror. And behind me was Alan Rickman who just did a sort of raised eyebrow and a thumb up. <laughs> so so that was my conversation with Alan Rickman. <laughs> but uh, I, ha- I have to confess, at that time, I was in awe of most of the cast, so I was a big, big tongue-tied. And, and spoke to people politely when they approached me, but I was too scared to approach them, I have to confess. Maybe that's... Maybe that's something I could change if I had a TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
Was this podcast your first experience with the film About Time? Yes. Uh, I thought I'd seen it, but when I saw the clips that you sent me, I have to confess, I haven't actually seen the whole film. Um, and um, But it'll be interesting. I could, I could talk about what's with, of what you've sent me yeah. by all bits, and uh, it depends on the questions you're going to ask. <laughs> well, I mean... You know, you, you you may have mistaken it for another Rachel McAdams time travel movie. They are there are four at this point. Uh, oh, it is, it, they're all very confusing, aren't they? Really? <laughs> but, but um, yeah. Yeah. So we're looking today at minutes forty six and forty seven of About yeah. Time, uh, where Tim and Mary start by walking down a path, well, across the pavement. I'm going to just read a bit of the dialogue for this minute, where we have. Mary says, would you like to walk me to my car? Tim says, yes. Okay. Why not? Sounds like a good idea. And then we cut on. We cut to a new location where Tim says, what about you? And she says, oh yeah, I have three older brothers. Yeah, where are they? And Mary responds, behind you. Which was an ad-lib line from Rachel McAdams, apparently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's great because it's, it always feels so normal that line. Like it's not, you know, when yeah. you have got stuff that is quite scripted for, especially in a comedy film. You know, the jokes have to be properly funny, not just silly yeah. little side comments. So when you've got those being ad libbed, I guess it sort of gives a new level of sort of reality to their conversation. Really, I think it also highlights uh, the camaraderie amongst the actors and the producers as well. That uh, it was felt that they could easily ad lib. Mm. Uh, nothing worse than doing a comedy and uh, feeling awkward to even suggest anything. Uh, but also, uh, having done several uh, comedies, there was one director who kept on saying, Action, be funny! <laughs> action, be funny! So, first of all, for me, the word action. All my dialogue in my head goes <laughs> out of my head. The, the worst word for an actor, as far as I'm concerned. But then to follow it up with "be funny" just makes it worse. Mm. <laughs> but it's uh, it's okay. But it's good that they kept it as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, definitely I imagine if is it were well. if it were scripted, he'd also do something stupid as a response, like look around yeah. behind him, and so the response yeah. is better this way. Yeah. Well. Because, but I always say to actors, it is the 90% of acting is reacting to what yeah. you see here. So this feels more real than if yes. he had, did something big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and that's with the difficulty when, uh, when they have to do multiple takes for whatever reason. Trying to make each take, uh, uh, spontaneous. Mm. That's that's what you that's what you have to. Call I mean, when I I mean, I've only directed a couple of shorts, so obviously I've not got a, a, a ton of experience. But like, what I started doing was almost doing two takes: one with how the actor wants to do it, and one with how I want to do it. Just just so we've got their their comfortable version, and you know the version that I've envisioned. Because quite often it'll you know I'll get to editing and think, oh, you know, I wish I'd gone with what they wanted to do. Yeah, and, and of course, um, that at least gives you an option. That's a lovely phrase. I know. Going, Could you give us another option? And of course, being paranoid, you think, oh, what I just did, they thought was crap. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's a nice term. And I think for the producers and the directors to have different options is, um, is actually quite good because you, 
as much as you plan everything, it's not until you've got all the material to put it together that uh, you realise how it how it could actually look different from what you thought from the outset. Um, I, I love discuss. To... <laughs> <laughs> I think Absolutely. you've said most of what needs to be said there, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we move on with the dialogue, and I, I love this whole exchange here, where it's "Did you have trouble parking?" She says, "Pardon." It's just a long way to your car. Yeah, well, my car's actually parked outside my house. I got a lift to the party. I love this idea, really. <laughs> it's, it, it really fits within the quirkiness of her character as well. Yes, yes. Like, um, and Tim says, okay, that's good. That's perfect. Um, she responds with, okay. And then, obviously, we, we get we get to see the house, which apparently is... Um, Richard Curtis was looking for the locations. He went like, I found this perfect location, showed it to Emma Freud, his girlfriend, and she said, you are aware this is the house that you used for Chris Marshall in Love Actually. Oh, well, then. <laughs> is it? <laughs> apparently so. I haven't had the chance to go back and check, but apparently so. And apparently yeah. it's just across from where Tom Hollander lives. Um, well, there you go. Because while they were filming this um, scene, Tom Hollander was like, oh... Why are there people on my street? People, you know, I don't want people to make my street famous. <laughs> and then he went outside, saw what it was, and he realised it was a film that he's involved in. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, wow. Yeah, no, that sort of thing is is quite surreal, but it does happen. Um, I recall uh, when I was living in Croydon, uh, there was some filming going on at the corner of my road. So, of course. Uh, always touting for business, I sort of made myself visible until somebody came up and said, "Oh no, no, well, you're not in this scene." <laughs> and it, likewise, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the same film, but I didn't realise that they were filming right up the end of my road. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. That, not many interesting things get filmed here in Shropshire, to be honest. Not that I'm aware of. I tend to keep on the lookout. There was one working title film that was having auditions for extras that were going to take place, and then lockdown all happened. So, but I don't know if yes, that was the being film. The whole lockdown thing is has really sent every, everybody a bit to Delhi because uh, uh, there were several projects that I was uh, sort of penciled for, most of which have sort of decided not to go ahead anyway, hmm. which is a shame. But and yet, had there not been the lockdown. We would have gone ahead. But as you know, uh, there have been times when I've uh, actually been in the car on the way to the studio to find that uh, the project's been cancelled. Wow. The the actors are the last people to find out these things. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we've got the, the about time house. Robert, have you got anything else to say about Mary's flat? Uh, no, I mean, the location is, a uh, what, it's in Notting Hill, right? 102 Goldborn Road. The deli is still there. <laughs> the vintage store she lives above is not. It has actually been taken over by the deli. Ah. So, the deli's gotten bigger. So. And it is 2.6 miles, or 4.2 uh, kilometers for you all metric people, from Joanna's party. So, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit of a walk. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that they, yeah, they did still film near enough around this sort of area where it uh, where it could be. <laughs> you yeah, know, you could walk it, yeah. They are they are suiting the geography enough with it all. 
apparently, actually, you know, this is more next minute. I will get to that next minute. It, it, uh, well, uh, the one, one of the notes I could say is that this was the spot where Donald Gleason and Rachel McAdams first met. Richard Curtis invited them for dinner at the deli, and he said, oh, nice. oh by the way, this is where oh. you're going to do the kiss. And Donald's like, yeah. hi, I'm Donal. <laughs> like, it was, it was the first, <laughs> which I think <laughs> was brilliant. Yeah. And then, he t- then she says, and here we are. And she goes, yep, yeah, car. And she introduces him to the car. And that's where our, our minute ends. So is yep. there much mm. on the visuals for, for minute 46? I don't know, Paris, but a little white car of some sort she's got. <laughs> and the walking the locations again? are several places I couldn't find. You know, I obsess about locations. Ooh. It's impressive that you when it's when you can't find it. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. So do we see the car again at another point in the film? Or uh, they might drive it when they go to his parents' house. Maybe I, might I don't know. Check that in a second. There's, this is a good scene, isn't there? When he's when uh, she's giving birth, and I'll check that. While oh, that talking. might be the car too. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the best place for me to check it. But I'll carry on with whatever conversation while I'm checking it, because otherwise this is going to be really boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, Simon, with this being your first minute that you've seen of About Time, what what impressions do you get from the, from the film and from the characters, I guess? Um, uh, I want to know more. Uh, that's what I will say. So that's a good minute and shows the quality of the uh, production, in my view. I've seen just a minute... And uh, and I think, oh, I'd like to know more and see how things develop. Uh, it sort of uh, reminded me of my early fumblings with making contact with other uh, people. Uh, when I was uh, sort of in my late teens, early 20s. And uh, that's all I can say about it, really, at this stage. Yeah, there is. Um, so Mary does have either a white or silver car in the deleted scenes, I can't quite tell for the lighting. Um, but, I mean, it's a good chance it's the same car. Yeah, so are we ready to go straight into 47? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, she continues her comment, house, car, sorry, hang on, so she said, so last minute, she said, yeah, car, and she finishes that with house, house, car. And Tim <laughs> says, it makes perfect sense, it's very logical. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, they make eye contact, and they kiss. And apparently when they first did this scene, or one of the first takes they did this scene, a group of teenagers came past and shouted ooh uh, during the kiss. <laughs> and apparently them them laughing at that comment is a picture which has been used in a lot of promotion of them laughing. So yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. And I guess it's... So I guess that means they didn't close off the road for filming. Like, I mean, I don't know how normal and regular that that is. So, I mean, Simon, you probably know better from film and stuff. Like, is it often that people will, you know, close off a full road or will they just film and hope no one comes by? Uh, without casting uh, any suspicion on how uh, the production team worked, I've worked on projects where they had no permission to film and it literally was sort of guerrilla warfare. You know, everybody's scurrying and then you're told as the actor, right, you've got to do it first take. <laughs> Yeah. When they filmed the uh, deleted scene at Abbey Road that we don't get later with the car, they there's actually news coverage of that. So, like, it was a big deal they were filming in that spot, and things were definitely closed off and controlled. Yeah. 
I'd imagine it, yeah, to, to block, I mean, they filmed there for two days, so to, to block yeah. off Abbey Road, there would be quite... It's going to get attention. <laughs> yeah, okay. Kick up a fuss and whatnot there. Just a little spot, maybe not as much. No, I wouldn't think so, other than from Tom Hollander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, 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 but to get somebody, uh, uh, somebody unexpected to make a comment, they either sneaked through, or there wasn't it. The the barriers weren't properly manned. Yeah, yeah. I've snuck into filming locations. Uh, a movie was filming. It was a stunt sequence. Actually, they were filming two blocks from my house late at night. By the time they finished, I was closer to the action than the director was. Yeah, <laughs> I just kind of casually kept moving closer yeah. and closer, having a good time. Did you find but out what? Interrupt, you know. Yeah. I did you find it. out what project that was? Oh. Yeah, it was the movie called The Ties That Bind. Came out in the, was in the mid nineties. Right. So like ten years before I was born. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hang on, I've lost where I am at the notes. So yeah, she's Mary fumbles around, um, um, keys, and then she says, "I'm going to go into the bedroom and put on my new pajamas." And then Tim says, "Right," and she says, "And then in a minute," and that's where. I mean, it concludes. Visual's nice because her door has those windows in it, and there's no lights on in her apartment, so it's like they're in silhouette once they're inside. Yes, I I always like that sort of image. It's uh, it's cool. Yeah. Mm. And the apartment is the only set that they used in the film, so okay, this is a set. That's on. good to know because it is so tiny and weird shaped. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted the more to... I watch scenes in this apartment, I'm like, what is going on in this place? I think they said they wanted it to be quite small to sort of feel more normal rather than all the big apartments that's in those yeah. films and stuff. And it's nice. Because it, once again, the, the film has a way of feeling so real and personal, especially for a film about time travel. Like, yeah. you know, you don't get that. I mean, actually, Simon, we, we've had guests on the show who didn't even know that the film was about time travel. So, I mean, <laughs> did, did you did you know much about the film at all from... Before watching the scenes? Well, once I established that I hadn't watched the film, I, I had to confess I did some research, so I got the gist of it. But also, in the longer take, in the in the later scenes, it is clearly obvious there's some form of time travel going on. Yeah. So, so that's it. And when, so once I'd sort of clocked that, it was quite interesting, and I was thinking, oh, yes, there are so many times I wish I could have done something like that. <laughs> Yeah. I I think yeah it's I've always thought of it as and I've said this a few times on the show that I think it's the most realistic film about time travel because they they make the time traveling and I mean you don't see in this the way he has to go and travel in time which yeah. is by going into a dark room closing his eyes and clenching his fists and thinking of the point where he's going back to so right. by making it so weird and awkward like it makes the time travel sort of feel normal within the universe of the film yes uh, and I mean, are you, are you normally like a being in stuff like Doctor Who? I mean, are you normally a fan of like time travel stuff, or I mean, what's, what's um, your preferred genre? Uh, uh, I, uh, I like whatever's good of any genre. <laughs> I know that Don't sounds like sense. a cop out, but I do. No, I get that. Uh, but <laughs> I am, I, I am very strongly into sci-fi in particular, an interest which started with Doctor Who. Uh, I was two when Doctor Who started. 
Uh, and then as as the years went by, we used to discuss Doctor Who. And then my sister introduced me to Star Trek in uh, uh, sort of the late 60s. Uh, and then by the time I was about 14, I got into Philip, Philip K. Dick and uh, and um, Arthur C. Clarke. Nice. And things so, so, and I I like I like projects that make me think, and but what they're putting before me is plausible. And after all, Star Trek is the classic, the flip phone, the video screens, you know. Yes, talk. so much of that has actually happened. Yes, yeah, as, <laughs> as, as we're doing now, of course, you know, and yes. I, iPads. We have better phones than they had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the thing with sci-fi for me is, yeah, some of it I really enjoy, but even with Doctor Who, I think the stuff that I like the most is, like, the actual, like, the character stories, like, the stories yeah. when, you know, that that's why I loved, like, well, I, I liked Matt Smith's era and all the stuff before then with Russell T. Davies, where it focused a lot on the characters and their relationships. And I know a lot of people didn't like that Doctor Who goes so popery. Well, I wouldn't say a lot of people, but, you know, there's a few people who don't, that... Yeah, I, I, that, that's the sort of stuff that I like, and I think that's why I like About Time. Like, I, I always have a soft spot for rom-coms, especially Richard Curtis films. And, like, so the idea of incorporating such a thing as time travel into a romantic comedy is just brilliant. Uh, yes, uh, I mean, the best productions have to be character-driven. Yeah. I, it'd be without that. Uh, Otherwise, we don't care. Yeah. Has to be, and uh, uh, there's a lot of television at the moment which is formulaic, and I've fallen foul of that when I've um, sort of uh, put forward projects. What comes back is it doesn't stick to the normal formula, and I think that's exactly what I want. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and we always hear the phrase "the surprise hit." Don't we? Yeah. The surprise yeah. hit, and it's uh, the reason it's a hit is because it's not sticking to a formula, and it's doing something different, uh, and it's allowing the audience to think for themselves. So, but there we go. I think it says a lot that my coursework for creative media production was um, to remake an existing media product. Right. It, it wasn't, you know, to make something new, to make your own short film. It was to adapt and remake something else. Yes. Well, that, I think that's a whole completely different topic yeah. that would take up at least three hours to discuss. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But but it is interesting. I mean, the the big thing that I get also is particularly if you're writing for a commercial channel that that you've got to have certain breaks because the audience can't concentrate, right? And yet that same audience will go and watch a two or three hour movie yeah. without without having to have a break. Mm. So there we go. Do you, do you think that with the slower decline in cinemas and stuff, that people's attention spans are going to get worse? Because, you know, I think if you if you sit and watch a three hour film in a cinema, you've got your money's worth. If you sit and watch it at home, it's too long. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is it, uh... I I have to say I'm 58, and uh, my nieces and nephews uh, from the age of uh, what uh, 
as uh, 20 to 32, and I find their attention span, uh, their attention span can, can be a bit short. They're, uh, because the, the, that sort of generation are used to getting other things and being, quote, gratified. Yeah. Very quickly. They're used to that. And, uh, and their responses to a ping on their phone because it's a text message. Mm. They will run in front of a tram <laughs> and, 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 and through a poisonous bush so they, they can get to the ping where the answer just says, okay. <laughs> Robert, we've got the title for this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's, I, I find it amusing, but also worrying, mm. because yeah. as we're as we're finding now in this situation with COVID nineteen, people are wanting instant, instant results, instant uh, uh, answers, and of course yeah, they, they haven't. They're having to now learn. Is it something new, which takes time? Uh, take, it takes time to develop a vaccine or even to discover what the virus is yeah. and how it works. And so that's um, added to people's frustrations. But having said that, I think I'm now seeing people are quite enjoying having a bit of extra time and they can take more time to do things. And uh, so we'll see how things change once uh, uh, lockdown is lifted. Yeah. Yeah. I, but there is that. I've noticed it and I found it amusing about this instantly one, instantly, instant, instant, instant. And then that brings in this thinking that people can't concentrate for more than 15 minutes. I'm trying to make a habit while I'm watching films and stuff to not check my phone. Like, yeah. even, even that, because I mean, it tends to start with. What do I know that actor from? Let me check him on IMDb. And then suddenly yeah. it's, oh, you know, his, his Twitter. Now I've looked through all of their filmography and I'm browsing through social media. And next thing I know, the film's nearly finished and I can't remember the main character's name. <laughs> you know, it's. But, uh, you know, to put to counter what I've said, there are people who enjoy watching box sets as a binge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I must admit what I, um, uh, Tony and I have, uh, rediscovered is a, a series called The Last Kingdom <clears throat> set around the times of uh, Alfred the Great and uh, we watched all four series every day we watched two or three episodes and so and thoroughly enjoyed it because that was character driven historical although I would say argue that maybe they were a little uh, <laughs> there was a bit of uh, po poetic license is that the phrase they use <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but it was very good, so we can concentrate. And if mm. if it's stimulating enough, and it keep it, it, the project itself has to keep your attention, then you will sit there for three hours. And then it's only Mother Nature you have to deal with. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, we've covered most of this minute. Have we got any sort of final comments on here before we wrap up this Monday? No. Anything from you, Simon? Or no, that's that's fine. Okay, so, Simon, where can our listeners find you on social media? Oh, well, I have a Facebook page, uh, and I have a professional page, but if people want to contact me first on my personal page, you'll know it, because the main banner is uh, um, the family cat who died, Ginger Cat, SGC. Uh, they can contact me there. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, and I have my own web page, 
which is fisherbecker.info. Uh, people keep on asking me to say, do you do this or do you do that? Do you know, I wouldn't have the time. If I had to respond to everything everybody <laughs> says I should join, <laughs> I'd, spend half, I'd spend half the day just, just doing that. Yeah. But then uh, Facebook, Twitter and my webpage. And there's there's the the, the, the the small audience waiting to see Dorian do TikToks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, Robert, where can the listeners find you? Social media, Robert E.G. Black, or my website, lemmingdrops.com. And the listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero, on Facebook at Luke Allen Film, on Instagram at the Ginger Luke. All podcasts, short films, radio appearances are available at lukeallen.co.uk. And this show is available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Men's About Time. And they can join our Facebook group, The Cupboard. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And um, I forgot to search for interesting ways to say goodbye again. We try and end each episode with an interesting new way to say goodbye. And I forgot to search for it. Um, Simon, have you got any interesting ways to say goodbye? <laughs> goodbye! <laughs> We definitely haven't had that. Yes. The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs> <laughs>